and welcome to Those Podding Muslims. This podcast is brought to you by the charity New Horizons in British Islam. On this episode... A lot of Orthodox Muslims don't consider me married. They do consider me living in sin. Shah Rukh Khan, married to a Hindu. Kritik Roshan, married to a Muslim. This kind of stuff can happen. Yes, we're talking interfaith relationships. Stay tuned. Welcome to those podding Muslims. My name's Manish. My parents are from different faiths to each other, and I married a woman not from the same culture as myself, although from the same religion. I'm joined by two of my colleagues who also have partners not from the same background as themselves. So how do these interfaith relationships work? What does Islam say about such marriages? And how do you raise children like this? Here to answer these questions, or at least give them a go, are my colleagues Hira and Shannon. Shannon, first of all, who is your partner? How did you meet? Well, first of all, my partner is an Anglican priest in the Church of England, Canon Giles William Goddard, and I met him in church. And I went to his church as a Muslim who is gay and who was looking for an inclusive place of worship. And it was right next to my doorstep when I came to London. Hira, who's your life partner? Your husband, in fact. Yes, my husband. um, He's called Paul. Uh, he is a Calvinist Nigerian Christian. Just explain what the Calvinist Calvinism is. Calvinism is, well, it's called Reformed Theology. And like the two fundamental ideas that they have are solo scriptura, which means if it's not in the Bible and it's not biblical, then they don't take it like, like it, it means nothing to them. Um, and I can't remember the other one, but there's another one. Solo something and solo scriptura. <laughs> so we've got two people here um, who are in interfaith, intercultural relationships. How, how do you find that? And I suppose your own family? Yeah, so they didn't take it very well because they have a very orthodox understanding, which, which is that a woman cannot marry out of the faith. Um, So most Orthodox Muslims will concede that a Muslim man can marry out of the faith, um, particularly if it's a Jewish or a Christian woman, but a a Muslim woman can't, that's Orthodox belief. And my parents and my family really held to that, so that made it very difficult. Did they object to it based on the religious stuff or was it actually a cultural thing? It was definitely religion, so I feel like had he converted or if he was Muslim already, they, they probably would have been fine with it. How about yours, uh, Shannon? Um, Well, first of all, like you, I come from a mixed faith background as well. Um, Not mixed faith, because my mother did convert to Islam. She's a second-generation Malaysian-born Chinese. My dad is Muslim. So under Malaysian law, a Muslim can only marry another Muslim. So she converted, but her family didn't. So I always grew up with cousins and aunts and uncles um, who were... Catholic, Methodist, Buddhist, Taoist, because that's what Chinese families are like sometimes. You've got lots of different religions. So I've always been comfortable growing up in a family that's quite diverse. Mm. And so when I met Giles, even though we're both really committed to our traditions, I think we've both got a particular perspective as well of Christianity and Islam. For me, Islam is a religion that embraces diversity and variety. And that's exactly how he thinks of being a Christian as well. Mm. So in a way, although we're both so steeped in our traditions, we both approach them in the same way. Right. So we kind of, 
it's a bit like saying the same thing in different languages mm. almost so we're both trying to say the same thing but just using a different spiritual language D what was it like doing the whole taking him to meet friends and family we've heard from hearers a few objections what was, mm. did you face that well the objections that i faced with my family were initially always to do with my sexuality but they've come to terms with the fact that they have a gay son mm. brother uncle so I think when they finally met Giles, they were just so happy that I met someone nice. And my parents being quite, you know, they're very religious, but they're very pluralist as well. For them, it's like, oh, he's met a man of faith. That's a good thing. So my dad was like, he's a priest. I respect that. Yeah. My own background, my, my dad comes from a Hindu background, my mum from a Sikh background, and it was actually arranged marriage but I mean I don't think my family are necessarily that religious anyway but also the two religions are, are fairly uh, well aligned with each other they kind of marry up what quite well um, so I didn't ha ever have that division really I went to the Godwara as much as I did go to the Mandir really so it was, but because those two faiths marry up quite well here as a British Pakistani and growing up in Britain in an interfaith relationship do you think a young person uh, say there was an interfaith relationship but one of them was Muslim does it come with more baggage I don't I don't know whether it's more or less difficult now I mean I think there is probably a lot more Islamophobia now whereas perhaps in the past it was just more racism you know plain old racism <laughs> um, but I don't which hasn't disappeared by yeah the way, so. mm. um, but, but what I, about when not even as far as the 60s or 70s what about just when you were growing up could you see a Muslim person getting into a relationship with a non-Muslim person and did you see that and did they work out yeah, did you no, see I mean I think when I was younger I did subscribe to the orthodox view that it's fine for a Muslim man to marry outside of the faith and I never really questioned it because it's one of those things where unless you're in the situation you don't really have a reason to question it mm. I guess so you kind of just it, it seems like it doesn't impact you so you're kind of like yeah okay fine um, and it was only really when um, I started you know, being challenged on my faith by Paul, actually, and I'm having to relearn my faith and actually be able to come back with answers to him to his questions that I actually discovered there's so much more nuance to our faith than we ever thought there was or we, we were ever taught there was. Do, do you think you're more religious now having been in a relationship with someone who's not Muslim? Yeah, definitely. So like people find this really strange. I think before I was religious, but in a very ritualistic way. So right. I prayed and I fasted, but I didn't, I don't think I placed that great of a meaning onto these things. Whereas now I feel like I feel way more spiritually connected and I think having my faith challenged has made me sort of cling on to it even more. We've touched on a bit about whether Muslim men can marry non-Muslim women and Muslim women whether they can or cannot. What actually does the religion say about interfaith marriages as far as you know Shannon? <laughs> I think even within the Quran it says different things at different points for example there's a verse in Surah Al-Baqarah which is chapter 2 I forget what number it is which says don't marry an unbelieving woman mm. until she believes mm. right but then there are other instances where we think even in the lived reality of Muslims Muslims have been married to non-Muslims before um, and there's nothing preventing that, really. So the Quran will say different things at different points. I mean, there's, again, it, within the same surah, where it says everyone, everyone who is a believer is saved. You know, paradise awaits them. They could be Christians, Jews, 
Sabaeans who mm. were sun worshippers, mm. <laughs> I think. Um, so there are different bits of the Quran that say different things. And the way I think about it is, you know, I'm quite inspired by this book called Muhammad and the Believers, written by a scholar of Islam called Fred Donner, where he says actually in the Quran, the words al-mu'minin and al-mu'minat, which is, you know, believing men and believing women, appears more than muslimin and muslimat, yeah. which mm-hmm. is muslim men and muslim women. And his theory is that the early community of Muslims was just a community of believers. It was a community of monotheists, Jews, Christians, whoever else counted as a monotheist. There were monotheists in Arabia who weren't Jewish or Christian. And eventually, he says, what happens in the Quran, so the verses that speak against the Trinity, for example, or against certain Jewish tribes, he said, you have to read that in light of some of the political tensions that developed because there were Jewish tribes that were aligned with that community and there were Jewish tribes that weren't. And with Christians, there was the Roman Empire, but then there were also the Christians indigenous to Arabia who were part of that community. And, you know, of course, a lot of them might have had a struggle with what the Quran says about the Trinity, but there were other things about the Quran that they would have liked as well. Um, So it's complex. I mean, the first hijra for the Muslims was to a Christian kingdom. Um, When Muhammad first received his revelation, the first person to comfort him was his wife, Khadija, because he thought he was going mad. And she said, no, you're not. And she went and spoke to her cousin and said, this is what Muhammad's gone through. Can you talk to us? And he said, I think he's telling the truth. And her cousin was a Christian priest, Mm. right? So these are the stories that we have in the Muslim tradition as well. And these are the stories that I hold on to in my faith, in my relationship with Giles. But it's a bit different when, so as I said, my struggle has been with, you know, my sexual identity. And it has been for Giles as well. We've both, through, we've both gone through phases where we've fallen out with our faiths and then have had to come back and find our way back into it. <laughs> From what I've briefly read and talking to you guys is that uh, certainly something I've heard is that um, kind of interfaith marriages and partnerships can actually happen with other people of the book is that right but away from that what if a young muslim boy met a young hindu girl or a sikh girl i mean what what does the religion say about that i think when people had to encounter different faiths they had to think about what the book meant so in mughal india you suddenly did have muslims who thought all these hindus no Mm. they're not muslim but there were other mystics in the muslim tradition other you know other leaders who thought hang on a minute but these are people who have their own beliefs, it's systematic, it's ethical. Why aren't they people of the book? Mm. Which is why we have Shah Rukh Khan married to a Hindu, Khritik Roshan married to a Muslim. This kind of stuff can happen mm. um, in the Indian subcontinent. Being I, I, played I, I, out I think there we should pick moment. up on that. Shah Rukh Khan, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Bollywood star, Muslim background. I don't mm. know how practicing he is or anything, but you know, certainly. He made my name is Khan, so. <laughs> 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 he marries someone who's not Muslim. Yeah. They have a, a quite high-profile relationship. But in India, there is these... I mean, I only just came across it the other day, a, a story about something called Love Jihad, where supposedly this idea, or certainly a worry, a concern amongst uh, non-Muslims, that Muslims are marrying Hindu girls to convert and kind of this takeover thing. And I think this question about interfaith marriages and intercultural marriages and stuff is as much as a question for Muslims in Britain as it is for non-Muslims in Britain. The way I've seen it, growing up even at school, you would hear things about if a um, non-Muslim girl was going out with, you know, this is petty kind of puppy love sort of thing, but a Muslim boy, and this was when I was 13, 14, 15, Mm. but it was this ownership like, oh, hang on, 
Mm. You, you, that's not allowed. And it was there would be fights, there would be arguments. And I don't know if you experienced this growing up in schools or in colleges here, uh, where um, it, it was this thing like, oh, you can't touch our women. But, yeah, you know, no, and I, I think that's exactly what um, it is. I've been quite blessed in that I... Um, I kind of thought my experience was very similar to other people, but as I've gotten older, I've realised, no, that's, that's, I've had quite a unique experience okay. in London where it has been quite harmonious, multicultural-wise. There, there have been tensions. You know, just, just a couple of weeks ago, I met up with some friends who were talking about how this um, one English girl who was going out with a, a guy of Pakistani descent was completely bullied, hounded, harassed by anonymous trolls, but, you know, people would assume it was his friends going you you're you're a white girl you can't go out with him etc so like really horrible stuff but I was unaware of it when I was younger mm. I saw a lot of interfaith relationships especially high school college uni I feel like pretty much everyone's been in an interfaith relationship where I feel the it kind of goes down is when it comes to marriage I feel like people are hesitant to take that final step and unfortunately a lot of people do break up because they just think my family's never going to accept this so this isn't going anywhere I don't see a future let's break up Um, I know of two instances just off the top of my head where it comes to a point where they're like actually what's yeah. our future here yeah and they just break up yeah I, I, th- I think sorry sorry no I just wanted to pick up the point about gender and how I do feel like there is this sense of it's fine for the guys to do whatever but it's about the women and don't touch our women mm. and I feel like it's always these these notions of identity always sort of cut across the line the bodies of women basically and I, I think it's time for women to critically think about their position in their communities are they taking leadership roles and say and owning their own selves or are they letting rules dictate where they should stand on either line and are they comfortable with that i've seen when it works beautifully as well like in malaysia i have (coughs) these two friends um so he's sikh she's christian when they got married they had three receptions they had a church reception a gurdwara reception and then a secular reception <laughs> for the people who didn't want to go to the church or the Gurdwara. So they invited me to all three. I was like, oh my God, I love this, but I can't make it to all three. I could only make it to the Gurdwara reception. But that was lovely. I mean, so many of us had never been into a Gurdwara before. And it was just such an amazing experience. And to be able to share that with her and her husband, I can only imagine what her church service must have looked like. Um, but that happens in a situation in Malaysia where... You know, Islam is not the state law for them in in their marriage. So uh, a Sikh man can marry a non-Sikh woman or a Christian woman can marry a non-Christian man and they can work it out themselves. The law doesn't permit that. So for my parents, they couldn't, it just couldn't have happened this way. Someone, so there's that pressure to convert. And I've seen relationships between Muslims and non-Muslims break down in Malaysia because of that. Because the side that's non-Muslim is like, but why do I have to convert? Yeah. Why can't I just love you and respect your faith but still keep mine? Um, and I think some of those dynamics exist here as well, I've seen. Yo, um, let's get into that a bit about conversion. So, Hira, you didn't drop your faith and, yeah. and Paul didn't convert to Islam. Yeah. Um, was that an issue? I, th- I think a lot of Orthodox Muslims don't consider me married. Um, they do consider me living in sin. So I have, I don't call him a friend anymore, but I know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he he doesn't refer to me as Paul's wife. He will always say, "Oh, your life partner." Right. And it's it's it, it doesn't really make any sense because you're kind of like, well, I mean, if there's two Christian people with Muslim who got married, would Muslims consider them married? Yes, they would. So I don't see what. Oh my gosh! Even in Islam, it's just a contract. Like we, it's not a religious service in that we. You don't have to have an official officiating. You need two witnesses, and you sign a contract, and and that is it. Like it's a very legalistic way of looking at marriage. So I don't know how over the years, as cultures have developed, they've put upon this sort of levels of categorization that I don't think really exist. Mm. So how would you feel if your daughter? married a muslim and converted to be in that marriage i think that is <laughs> it makes me chuckle i was prepared for the question i'm still <laughs> unprepared for the question um it's so tricky in that i think i've got kind of two answers i suppose i feel like if she'd found someone who was muslim and converted because he he wanted her to convert and so they could be in a union in a in a marriage i'd be less less happy about it as opposed to if she had converted to islam when she was i don't know how old, old she was independently yeah and then just happened to find someone who was muslim mm. and the, the big worry for family who who see their daughters or nieces or or cousins or whatever who marry to convert is you feel like or they've certainly felt like and i can somewhat empathize they feel like they're compromising their identity mm. for a relationship whereas if she'd found islam independently herself i think i'd be a lot more comfortable with it mm. than her doing it because of a boy or or whatever I feel like interfaith marriages are only going to go up because I think I almost feel it's inevitable that you you can't have every single muslim marrying only muslims it makes no sense. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Certainly yeah. in Britain, right? Certainly yeah. in Britain there's only a, s- a certain population here and yeah, it's probably unrealistic we're we're bound to see more and more of it. So what needs to change amongst British muslim communities to make it easier? to make it um well yeah easier for for families easier for individuals mm. if someone's listening to this and isn't an interfaith relationship and they just they're thinking about breaking it up because of the future that they dread what what will make it easier for them what do you can think? i be an academic geek yeah. and talk about this book that i really like it's called american grace it's written by robert putnam and david campbell and there's this one chapter in it that i really like about religious diversity in America because they did this thing where they asked a lot of the religious Americans that they surveyed do you think religion is dividing american society and about 3 quarters say absolutely but then they go further and they test it they were like okay so if it's divided in if it's dividing american society then there must be some kind of hostility between the different religious groups so they asked in their survey do you think that a good person who is of a religion that's not your own can go to heaven because that that's the ultimate question right to see if you have what feelings you have about someone of another religion they found that over 90% said of course a good person of another religion can go to heaven so for all the christians they were like someone f- not from your denomination it was kind of still hovering around 90% and they went what about jews it went down slightly but still about 80% and then they found something really interesting for white christians they asked about muslims 
then only about 30% said, yes, a good Muslim can go to heaven. Wow. Only 30%. But the figure doubles when you consider African-Americans. If you ask a Protestant, a black Protestant in America, do you think a good Muslim can go to heaven? About 60% will say yes. So they thought, what explains this? And so they started looking at family structure and friendship circles. And they found that Americans generally, in every family, there is religious diversity. You will have an aunt or a grandparent who's not of your faith. And in that case, it's really hard, even if you're very religious, to think that she's going to hell right. or he's going to hell. Yeah. Or in your circle of best friends, you'll have someone like that as well. Yeah. So that's, But it's a similar thing happening yeah. where the person closest to you is not of the same faith. Yeah. How could you possibly believe they're going to hell? Yeah. That's where I think religion gets interesting. It's not like you're not committed to your faith. It's just that if you see that someone's a good person, I think you're going to interpret your religion differently. You're going to think, I, I can't possibly believe that you are going to be damned because you're such a wonderful person, mm, right? Mm. So I think maybe that's what we need of, we need more of as well, more of those sorts of, how do we allow those friendships to happen and yeah. those relationships to happen? One bit of relationship advice for people who are in interfaith, intercultural relationship. Hera? I think the advice I'd give is a bit harsh. Go on. <laughs> yes. A bit of tough love. I, I think I'm looking at it from my perspective. Also thinking about very young girls who were probably in a similar position to me where, you know, they were, you know, quite reliant on their families, etc., etc. And I think it really does depend on your level of maturity, your level of resilience, and how much life experience you have a little bit. Um, so I think when I was younger, I did used to think you could only love one person in your whole life and that was your like the love of your life kind of thing. But I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that's not how love works. So if God forbid Paul died, yes it will be heartbreaking, it will be traumatic, but time heals, right? So come 5 years, 7 years, 8 years down the line, humans heal, we're very resilient individuals. So there's that, the idea that this might be the love of your life when you're 16, but is, will that be, continue to be the love of your life when you're 30 right. or 45? There's that to think about. And then also recognizing that to lose your family is actually a very traumatic thing. And I think I have managed to make a success of my life, thank God, but I don't know if all girls can do that. Right in the current situation. So I don't want to be giving advice to someone where I can actually be putting them in a really dangerous situation. And it's unfortunate that that's, the, like, that's where we're at. But then, yeah, it's a bit, but what I'm trying to say is I don't think it's a sin. It's not because it's a sin. It's Mm. not because Islam says you can't. It's more the realities of the way faith functions in Britain and how identity plays in Britain. And I think I would, what I'd want to add to that as well is like in in the positive spin that I was giving before, (laughs) what I didn't mention was I met Giles, you know, he he was in his late forties. I was in my early thirties. We'd been through stuff. Yeah. We'd been through stuff that had broken us, you know, so we met each other at a different stage in our lives and ironically both being gay sort of liberated us in some way because we didn't have to we had other struggles that we'd gone through 
before we'd met each other. Yeah. You know, such so that the interfaith stuff could be really healing and creative as well. Absolutely. Because we we dealt with the other stuff. But it took a lot of work to deal with the other stuff as well. Yeah. And yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So I feel like if you're if you're older and you know you've got your head screwed on and you're fairly independent anyway, then I think you probably could stand up to the world. I mean, even if you're young, you you could do it. Mm. I just don't know whether all people could do it. So it's not an advice that I would apply liberally everywhere. Something that Tom Wilson said at the conference, which I will repeat now, is he said that the Catholic Church has this approach where if an interfaith couple comes to them, they will discourage it. They'll discourage it, they'll discourage it, say no, no, no. But once they're married, they will support them as best as they can. And I think if you're young, that's probably the best that's the, the best approach, mm. I would say. Let's end on a bit of a, something silly. I because like that was <laughs> some deep stuff right there. Yeah. I'm going to give you, because there's such a thing as Muslim chatter blinds. Oh, God. <laughs> have ah. you ever heard of these? <laughs> have you ever heard of these? These are stupid. Um, <laughs> so, are you Shia? Because when I saw you, I said to myself, Shia! That's <laughs> oh, my God. What? I need to break my fast. Can I have a date? Oh. How good is that? Oh. How could I write these down, people? <laughs> um, and finally, do you believe in the hereafter? Oh, you do? Then you know what I'm hereafter. Uh. Oh. I like that one. I thought that one was alright. I've, I've, I've got a Muslim joke. Can I Go tell on. it very quickly? So, three imams, a sexy woman walks in front of them. Okay. First one says, Astaghfirullah. The second one says, Mashallah. <laughs> Third one says, Inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for downloading and listening to those podding Muslims. If you're interested in discussing what it means to be a British Muslim today, then you might like our other work. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or on our website, nhorizons.org.